0: In a few moments, I'm going to um, read to you from the middle of the Bible. That is the Book of Psalms. It's always easy to find. You know, when somebody says, "Now we're going to turn," you know, to uh, to Jonah, and you're thinking, uh, "Where's that?" And somebody says, "Oh, it's very easy to find. It's next to Obadiah." <laughs> oh, wow! Thanks. But but the Book of Psalms is very easy. It's right in the middle of your Bible. And um, before I became a Christian, not coming from a church-going background, I, I read the Bible. Long story. Every day, three chapters a day. And then I got to the Psalms, and I thought they were all short, like <laughs> Psalm 1. And then I hit Psalm 119, and the yeah. wheels come off as I was popping those five a day. And then we get to these comparatively short Psalms called the Songs of Degrees, or the Songs of Ascent, almost certainly because they, you went up to the hill of the Lord from your towns and villages and hamlets, so they're pilgrim Psalms. So we we'll were looking at that in a moment or two. But when I was reading the Bible through, not a churchgoer, I'd read it through. Actually, nearly twice before I became a Christian in my teens. I really wish I'd had this book. (laughs) Because, you know, a lot of the Bible, and maybe you still feel the same way, you're thinking, well, what's that about? And, you know, how do I make head or tail of that? I mean, for instance, what's the book of Numbers about? (laughs) What's Numbers about? Numbers. Everybody tells me it's about numbers. That's true. It's about mm, numbers. Thank you. Very exciting. Especially if you are discalculate, that is, you can't count. What's numbers about? Well, this little thing called Open Your Bible will just give you an introduction. It's about God's kingdom and his discipline and his promises and his miracles. Okay, fine. But then what we love about this book at Moreland's is, because we don't just do theology, we do what we call applied theology. So what? Well, this is what it says. Relevance for today, just from numbers. one. Beware of grumbling. Now you'd never have to mention that round a church, would you? A group of older people. I mean, they never moan. So beware of living in the past. I know some folk who died at twenty-five; nobody noticed till they were buried at eighty-three. Beware of thinking God's rules don't apply to you. Oh, God and I have a special understanding on that. Get over yourself. Beware of Getting in a Rut, Hmm. a grave with the ends kicked out, as somebody said. That's that's just one book. And it does that for every Bible book. And then, again, what we love about it is it's just a one-stop shop. It then talks about becoming a Christian, growing as a Christian, getting into your Bible, prayer, what happens when God doesn't answer prayer, doubt, depression. And even further along the road, how do you deal with bereavement, getting old, preparing for heaven, And what will it be like? Now, this book is beautifully produced for a lifetime of service. It's it's what we call glued and screwed together, sewn together. And this may encourage you. The guy who produces it was a 15-year-old, tongue-tied dyslexic. He Couldn't read or write. He was in and out of kids' homes. Mother was probably on the game. Didn't care for them. And when he was 15, there's a nice picture on the front. He started as a, a grocer's delivery boy. And somebody said to him, Robert, you just need a little operation to loose your, loosen your tongue for 10 minutes or something. But she wasn't bothered about that. So he had this operation. And the surgeon said to him, son, when you get home to this little hovel he lived in in Birmingham, get the biggest book you can and try and speak the words to learn to speak. Well, he could hardly read. So he got this big old Bible. And he, there was like a... Uh, just a, a little wooden slat over the, the gas meter. And over a two-year period, Robert Hicks, by hand, wrote out and tried to say most of the Bible. And the result of that was he began to see things. He has a brilliant, laterally thinking, 3D-focused mind. And he became a Christian. Went on to be very successful in business and uh, Sales direct and anything else. Today, this guy who couldn't read or write at 15, he comes to Jesus. All things become new. The amazing thing is he has published, wait for it, over 100 million books and gospels and things for Jesus. So sometimes some of us think we're total losers and God couldn't do anything with us. Don't you believe that for one moment? When you become a Christian and follow Jesus, you are written into God's everlasting plans and you find you matter. And this guy's gone on to produce all sorts of stuff, not only in English, but in other languages too. Now, when they produced this book here, um, it was, it's also intended for the majority world church, where many folk will only have a book like this to help them with their Bibles. So these things, these retail for 30 pounds. But, quote, we don't want to give you that. Um, we, we, as a college, and I personally have literally, literally sold thousands of them up and down the country. This book, we sell for 15 pounds, half price. And you get a free copy of A Boy in His Bible, Robert's Story. Now, you may not have brought your money here today. Have a word with the treasure at the back. Leave your name, address, and the name of your granny's offshore account. <laughs> and I tell you what, this is the truth. We always offer your money back if you're not satisfied. We don't leave a forwarding address, but, you know, you will not be disappointed. This will help you to do what I wish I had when I was 14, 15. That was a way into the Bible. So, you know, when I got, well, got those books, I was saying to some of the leaders last night, when I got to the book of Job, it doesn't say, because I come from a little bit, it doesn't say, hey, you lad, say Job. And I thought it was the book of Job. Well, it doesn't say that, does it, you know? A job, whose job, you know, whatever, Bob a job, you know, whatever. Well, it will help you get into in the Bible for yourself. So you won't be disappointed. And what often happens is folk then write and say, can you send us a copy? You feel the weight of this. This is a heavy tome. It costs us, you know, six or seven pounds to stick a copy in the post. So your cheapest way of getting it, the best deal, is to pick up a copy this morning. I'd like to sign you all up for courses at Morlands, but this is at least the start in a good way. On the way, okay? So if I flog that to you, form an orderly queue immediately. No, no. Uh, and and it, and it, even if you're looking for faith, you'll find it really helpful. We have staff uh, who we've given copies to uh, at my college who are not yet Christians to help them to understand what God has said in His Word. Now that's given you a big little introduction to turning to one of these songs of ascent, as it's called. And we're going to look at uh, one this morning, Psalm 128. It's a very short psalm, like most of them are, except Psalm 132, which is a bit longer. And they're very accessible. They're for pilgrims. They're for people on the move, like you and me. Pilgrims going from their own towns and villages to the city of God. And Christians are people who are on a journey too, from this world to God's everlasting kingdom, to the great city of God, the Jerusalem above, as the Bible calls it, where the eternal party begins. And uh, this psalm is, is very accessible, as I hope to show you, because I'm going to speak to you from it, I hope, on how to handle painful priorities, how to handle painful priorities. How do we do it? Well, here's a prescription from God's uh, prescription pad. The uh, new international version says, "Blessed are all." And that's okay, it means everybody, but actually it's singular. So I'm going to read it, though it's in the NIV, in the singular, because that's what it is. It's the individual, firstly. And then it'll talk about family and then the wider world. So notice this. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You'll eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your sons will be like olive shoots round your table. Thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion all the days of your life. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem. And may you live to see your children's children, your grandchildren. Peace be upon Israel. Now, if I read that in an Anglican church, which I sometimes do, or any other reader, at the end of the reading, they say, this is the word of the Lord. And everybody responds, thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to speak to you about this thing called painful priorities. Do you ever feel uh, like coming up, uh, hopefully, on the screen, that your life is a wee bit like this? Aren't you glad that Acts 8 does doesn't say you shall receive PowerPoint? But power. So here we are. You may not be able to so see There we are, down a bit. Plate spinning. Life is full of seemingly plate spinning opportunities. I've got this, that, the other to do. And there are times when you may feel, if I just let those stop for a moment, all those things that I'm rushing around like a scalded cat about would just crash to the ground. How do I keep things together? Some years ago now, the uh, Britain's top policeman was Sir, Sir David McNee. He was a very committed Christian, and he was speaking to a group of uh, Christian leaders about the importance of having an educated constabulary. And if you want to move through the ranks, you have to pass various exams. And he went on to, to give a typical sergeant's exam. Well, it was fairly interestingly typical because he said it went something like this. You're proceeding along the high street in your normal course of duties when out of your peripheral vision, you see this saloon car swerve across the highway and crash into a stationary vehicle on the opposite side of the carriageway to which you now are. As you make yourself, uh, get yourself over to the said incident, you immediately notice that the dazed occupant of the white van is a well-known crook who's on the run. As you look at the saloon, a lady's body has slumped forward over the wheel, and as you open the door... There is a strong smell of alcohol emitting from their unconscious frame. You also notice that the tax disc is out of date. As you're now deciding on your priorities to avoid the said incident, a tanker has swerved out the way, crossed the carriageway into the opposite side to which you now are, into a department store, and before you know it, the tanker driver is out, crying out for help because, he says, he's carrying highly flammable waste and already a small fire has started. As you're quickly reprioritizing to your horror, a lady appears from a side street, screaming her head off that her little boy's just fallen in the canal. He's drowning. She can't swim. Help! Then the killer question. Enumerate in order your list of priorities. And the guy who came top simply said, remove your uniform and mingle with the crowd. (laughs) And... And isn't life like that? There's times when you want to hand in your mum badge, your dad badge, your, you know, your boss badge, your, your employee badge. You just think, let somebody else take the heat. I'm handing in. I'm taking the uniform off. I'm not on duty today. I'm not your mother. Get a life. How do you hold things together? Well, this psalm helps us. It's not the only thing in Scripture, of course. There's another 1,100 and 88 chapters in our Bibles to help us. But this one is, is particularly helpful and accessible. And I want you to look at it with me this morning, if you would. If you cast your eye over it, you'll see it's really like a circle. It's like God's family circle. A circle has three constituent parts, maybe coming up to help us, remind us of words we might not have used for a while. Can we have the next one up? Hmm, That's interesting. Nothing to do with me. And the next one, and the next one. There we go. There we go. A circle has three constituent bits. It's got a center, the circle itself, and the circumference. Yes? You still there? Psalm 128 is exactly that. In verses 1 and 2, you've got the individual. In verses 3 and 4, you've got the family circle. Wives, children. Don't switch off if you're single. I'll be talking to you presently. And then you've got the circumference. You've got Jerusalem, Israel, Zion, the wider community of which the individual, the family, is a part. Verses 1 and 2, the individual. Verses 3 and 4, the family. Verses 5 and 6, the circumference. How do I hold this thing called life together? Well, it starts off with the individual. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his way. So that's the first thing I want to share with you this morning. Can you have that up, too? How to handle painful priorities, guarding the center. What's that? Next one, yourself. Why are you here? What's life all about? What are the big questions? Next one up. This is just a shot of some planetary and star systems. Our sun is one of a hundred thousand million suns in our Milky Way, our galaxy. Our galaxy is one of maybe 100 or maybe 200,000 200, million galaxies in the known universe, which seems to be expanding. How do you count that up, by the way? Just like count the stars. one, two, one hundred five million seven hundred seven. Fred, do you want a cup of tea? One, two, three, four, you know. How do you count them? It's a vast cosmos of which you and I are seemingly an insignificant little planet. Third rock from the right of an obscure solar system. And some folks, they look at the vastness of the universe say, Do you know what? We don't matter. We came maybe from some, who knows, explosion. First moment, the big bang. And maybe, maybe we'll go to a big crunch, or maybe things will go on forever, but we don't matter. We're, we're just small and insignificant. I watched um, the Stephen Hawking film recently on a long flight down to, uh, to Australia. And it was fascinating. At the end of it, uh, no wonder uh, the guy got an Oscar for the part he played, don't you see the film? But he's asked about, did, did he believe in God? And he talks about the vastness of the universe and he found it hard to believe that anybody up there could be bothered with this insignificant bit down here. And I sat there looking and saying, Stephen, what a a pity nobody ever told you about Christmas. You have the next one up? The cradle. Because the Christian story is out of this vast cosmos It's planet Earth that is the biggest problem. Because people made, like you and me, to know and love and enjoy God. We'd rather now at our funerals, it's almost as popular, if not more popular, than the Lord's My Shepherd. Folk at their funerals like to sing, I did it my way. And when you do it your way and I do it mine, we screw up the world. And then often people blame the God they don't believe in for all the problems in the world. Have you ever noticed that? It's absolutely absurd. There's no God, so let's blame him for what's gone on. What? And to put this world right, you know, Bob the Builder, can he fix it? What about God the Builder? Can he fix it? I'm glad God did better than Bob there. (laughs) And the story of the Gospel, of the big story of the Bible, is how God himself came in that little, tactile, vulnerable baby to live the life we never lived, to die the death that we deserved so that we could be forgiven. And how do we know it's true? The next one up, please. Well, I don't know if this is the place where they laid Jesus, the empty tomb, but it's a good first century picture of the garden tomb in Jerusalem. There's no body in the grave of Jesus. Why? Because he's been raised from the dead How do you know you can be forgiven? How do you know you can have a relationship with God? How do you know you can have everlasting life? How do you know you matter? And the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, who's alive forevermore, says, hey, this is how you get to know God. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. What does that mean in craven fear? No, it means to be brought into relationship with him. To know that, Out of this vast cosmos, you matter to God. He knows you. He knows everything about you. By the way, he'll never be disillusioned with you. Never. He has no illusions to start with. He knows you're a loser. He knows you mess things up. He knows you're not as good as everybody thinks you are. He knows your heart. And if we could be hung for our thoughts, we'd all be swinging this morning. (laughs) And in spite of that, In incredible sacrificial love. He came and he died for us. He died that we might be forgiven. He died to make us good. That we might go at last to heaven. Saved by his precious blood. There was no other good enough. To pay the price of sin. He only could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in. And I'm a Christian not because it makes me happy. Sometimes it makes me sad. I'm a Christian not because it gives me purpose. Some folk get off their heads and they feel they found the purpose to life in looking at the boiled egg this morning. I found the secret of the universe. See the men in white coats? I'm a Christian because it's true. That's the big thing. That God himself has come to this little tiny speck of interstellar dust we call our earth. And he has given himself for us so we may come to him and have peace with him, be forgiven, cleansed. And God may start by his Holy Spirit to work in you, to recreate his life in you. How do, how do, you, know, how do, how do you know that that's working? Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Where do you find that out? You find it in this, this book we call the Bible, God's revelation of himself. He says, don't think of me that way. This is how you are to think of me. I'm holy, I'm righteous, I'm pure, I'm good, but I'm kind and I'm compassionate and I'm merciful and I'm loving and I bid you come and surrender to me to follow my son Jesus whom I've sent to be the savior of the world. And Christians keep that going. Next one up, please. Things like, we used to have some profound choruses when I was a. A kid, you know, like, read your Bible, pray every day if you want to grow. All together on the chorus now, you know, whatever. But it made the point simply that getting into your Bible, seeking his face in prayer, being with God's people, like we've been this morning, trying to encourage each other to press on, to be God's people in this world. That's what it means to fear the Lord. Can I ask you this morning, do you therefore fear the Lord? Do you know why you're here? Have you come to Christ? Have you asked him to be your Lord and your master? Because when you do, life really does begin in earnest. You get a new life. You get born again. You come into God's family. And this adventure called faith is way on the way. It's fantastic. If you think being a Christian then is being miserable, notice what it says. You'll eat the fruit of your labor blessings and prosperity will be yours. It doesn't say you'll fear the Lord and you'll be as miserable as some of those folk who go to church. Like the guy in Lancashire trying to get folk into his mission hall. He said, will you come into our mission, lad? He said, no, I've already got enough problems, thank you. You know? And I apologize if Christians give you the impression that being Christian is, "Uh, it's being so cheerful, keeps me going. Uh." Whatever. The joy of the Lord is meant to be your Strength. And we have problems, we have setbacks, we have heartbreaks. Of course we do. We weep, says Scripture. But, and we grieve, not as others who have no hope, but we grieve. And yet underneath is this inexpressible love and joy and peace that we get from God. And it says, blessing and prosperity be yours. Is this a kind of like a slot machine that God's going to, you know, make you healthy, wealthy, and wise, and you can name it and claim it and frame it, or if you don't get it, you blame it on somebody. <laughs> no, but I do know this, that when God's blessings on you, the spiritual blessings in Christ, it even has an effect on, 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 on the little world around you. I had a friend down last week. I met him over 30-odd years ago. He was living in a squat in East London with his girlfriend. He got converted, and then the work began. They he moved out the squat, and, rent, and then he, they were able to get a little property, and he renovated it, and then they moved on to a bigger property, and his life comes together. Christ puts people together. Jesus wants to make us whole. This isn't just a, some kind of knockdown, you know, you'll always be healthy, wealthy, and wise, but it is saying when God's blessing is upon you, then it affects every part of life. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. That's right at the center are, 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 you, are you fearing him this morning in relationship with him? Are you pressing on? The very fact that you're here is, is rolling up a little flag saying, Lord, I do want to go further. And this is a daily thing, not just a shot in the arm once a week when you come to church. I mean, how many of you have eaten since last Sunday? So, eaten something. Yeah, you've all eaten, Sonny. One or two of you on diets, I see. Have a seven-day fast, you know. You eat. Most of us eat every day, because that's just how it works. And being a Christian is an everyday event, twenty-four-seven. I belong to Jesus wherever I am. But then, it doesn't just stay with me and Jesus. And sorry about you lot. No, no. Christian faith is deeply personal, but it always has relationship with it. Now, in the ancient Near East, nearly everybody got married. Okay? We live in a different culture. So, it talks about your wives and your sons like your wife, like a, a vine, fruitful vine, and your sons like olive shoots around your table. So, where's the next thing. How to handle pain. Guard in the center, yourself, keeping the circle, your family. Now, I'm going to tell you something about families before I go any further. The first thing to say is this. Can you have a next photo up? They come in different shapes and sizes, don't they? I mean, you know, they used to talk about the average family was 2.4 kids. <laughs> Hello, point 0.4. Nice to see you. <laughs> Where's the rest of you? Well, what, what does a family look like? Well, families come in different shapes and sizes. Now, this is written to folk, most of whom got married. But we live in a society where many folk are single. We're single because we've never married. Single because we've been divorced, we're single because we've been widowed, whatever. So, so this has got nothing to say to you, right? No, not at all. It's got everything to say to you, because you won't run away with the idea that only married people have got the inside track on reality, will you? I mean, you know, sometimes people get the impression if you're married, you know, you've kind of got it together, and if you're single, you're somehow or other deficient. Let me tell you. The Lord Jesus, despite what the Book of Mormon asserts, and the Da Vinci Code, was not married. He was single. And he was perfect. If you think it's only married people who've got it together, just open your eyes. Some of the most dysfunctional folk on the planet are married. And some of the most glued together, sane, balanced, wonderful people are single. remember years ago in my church running a thing on singleness. Not for singles. For the whole church. Because it wasn't the singles you need to be told about singleness. It was the kind of unthinking, oh, you'll be next. And you think, oh, you know, whatever. <laughs> you know, granny, I'm 73 and it's not going to happen, you know. <laughs> Although you never know, do you? You know, the old guy who moved into an old folks' home, he was in his 70s, and he's sitting there, first day round in the lounge, you know, and this old girl keeps looking at him, staring at him, and he's feeling a bit uncomfortable. She says, I do apologize. I can see you're making you uncomfortable. He said, well, she said, it's just that you so remind me of my fifth husband. <laughs> he said, your fifth husband? How many have you had? She said, just four, so far. You know, so... <laughs> And so families come in different shapes and sizes. Uh, next one up this is my mum on the right, and my Aunt May, she was my mum's cousin, and yours truly is a baby in Formby near Liverpool as a kid. No, 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 I say. You must have been a beautiful baby, what happened to you? You know, I know. Auntie May was my second mum. She never married. She was the lady who bought me a Bible through which I became a Christian. It didn't matter. I just knew as a kid growing up. I was the son she never had. It really didn't matter. I didn't, I mean, I had a strong and loving family. But, you know, I knew that when the chips were down, if the whole family were against me, the whole world was against me, that woman would always be in my corner and on my side. And she was single. She was my second mum. Some of you got a real ministry of being second mums or dads to little tykes. Some folk now are doing stuff like safe families, my friend Peter Vardy up in the northeast, doing mini fostering, others home for good, like Krish Kandaya and others. Little tykes. There's lots of kids around St. Austell, and you can keep them out of Borstal. You know, youth work, kids work, whatever, whatever. So don't write yourself off if you're single. We have to be careful. We know all about safeguarding. We know all about the fears of pedophilia or whatever. I tell you what, the Lord Jesus, I think, would be locked up today because he had little children sitting on his knee. Was he grooming them? We need to be careful. I'm not. We teach folk boundaries all the time. My colleges, we train children and youth workers, et, cetera, et cetera. But we've got to make sure that we stay in touch with kids as well. They keep us young. You know, they. Keep, I remember coming into our house when uh, the family had moved out. They'd been in for a while while my son was renovating the house, and I came in and I could hear the clock ticking. And I thought, this is death. Where, where's the noise and the fury? You know, and every and everything's in its place. I'm thinking, oh no, this feels like a funeral parlour now. So, if you're single, who knows? Okay. But don't think you've kind of missed the boat. In fact, I was just reading one Corinthians seven. One Corinthians seven, is a big chapter on singleness and satisfied to the glory of God. And for some of us, I know it's not a gift we wanted. And God knows that, and who knows? So, if you're single, you've got relationships with other people at different levels. You can be, you may be an honorary or a literal auntie, uncle, whatever, around the church. I thank God for a surrogate grandparents to my kids when we we're growing up in East, they were growing up in East London. But if you are married, then the application's a bit more direct, isn't it? It says, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. So and the next one up. So sometimes folk get married. This is my son and daughter in law. We were chatting last night about how when her dad died, I arranged the funeral, met her up with us. She, I used to be their pastor, her and her mom, and then discovered that at twenty eight, She was still single. And I had a 30-year-old at home who was going nowhere. (laughs) Twisted his arm and had her around for lunch. And uh, 12 months later, I even did the wedding for free. There we go. What a man. (laughs) And so sometimes, you know, marriage comes along in the next one. And sometimes the kids come. These are two of my grandkids, of the urchins. So your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. That's a lovely picture, isn't it? How's your vine? Have you married? What? Well, let me tell you, a vine needs two things. It needs time, like attention, and careful pruning. Now, I'm not talking about careful pruning. I've got to get out of here to life. <laughs> see, John, he's, he's had a farming background. Because <laughs> otherwise, you go everywhere, see? So there's kind of, So time, attention. That's really important. I know some guys who know more about their golf swing than the rhythms of their wife's emotions. Really. Your wife needs your attention and vice versa, of course. I'll say that in a moment. You know, don't be like the old guy who knew more about his roses than his rosy. They'd been friends since they were little kids. They'd lived through the Second World War. They'd been married 60-odd years and one day he comes in from the garden halfway through the morning... And he sits down for his coffee and she, she's on to him. She says, all right, Ted. She says, what am I wearing that I haven't worn for about 60, 70 years? Well, he says, oh, I don't know. Oh, she explodes. You never notice anything about me, do you? Oh, he says, "I'm going on. Give me a guess. She said, you've got three guesses. He says, it's the dress. The dress, she said. You bought me it last week in that Oxfam shop. Is it the shoes you used to go dancing? The shoes, she said. I have to have these specially made for my arthritic feet. Oh. She said, hang on, it's the ring. The ring, she said, you bought me that for our golden wedding. Ted, when was the last time I wore a gas mask? <laughs> <laughs> Guys, for goodness sake, notice your wife, L'Oreal. Because she's worth it. Sorry about the Avon one, you know. And then, Children. And your sons will be like olive shoots around your table. The olive, again, needs time and attention. Mm. Now, let me tell you, a marriage, biblically, is complete without children. Some of my nearest and dearest friends, married, not being able to have kids. And others, who shouldn't have any kids, seem to, quote, breed like rabbits. How do you work that out? I don't know. What I do know is, often in marriage preparation, we're going through Genesis 2, and we'd read verse 24. It says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, become one flesh. Fine. And then say, what comes next? And he'd read verse 25? And they were naked and not ashamed. Said, no, it doesn't. Yes, it does. The two, yeah, for this reason, a man reads his father and mother should be united to his wife and they become one flesh. What comes next? They all read verse 25. So, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It does. No, it doesn't. One flesh. Full stop. Period. You go, what? A marriage is complete without children. That's the biblical view. So, children are a bonus. The leaving, cleaving one flesh is like a triangle, and children come into the triangle. Sometimes folk have a a bad sort of relationship, and they think if they have kids, Ron leaving, Cleaving, one flesh, committed to each other, they'll they'll turn her into a square or something. And then the kids are over here, and Fred and Ilda over there, and they use the kids as pawns. No, kids come into the triangle; they don't make a marriage, and it won't be the kids' fault, but they may be the occasion to break the marriage if its firm foundations are not rooted in Jesus Christ where the man loves his wife as Christ loved the church, and the wife finds biblical order under, under that and flourishes. That's the picture. And it says, but if kids come, then your sons, your children, will be like olive shoots around your table. What do olives need? Again, time and attention. In fact, it, it's reckoned it takes up to 30 years for an olive to become mature. Looking back at that son of mine, 30, I'm thinking, I'm going to be stuck with him when I'm drawing my pension. Because he's got to that stage where the desirable wasn't attainable and the attainable, he thought, wasn't desirable. And then Miss World walked into his life and he's blown away. Fantastic. And then children come. And and even grandchildren. I'm with Tony Campolo. Grandchildren, God's reward for not killing your kids. Moving on quickly. (laughs) are uh, the little darlings. And if you've got young children, enjoy them. It's too quickly over. I mean, I, I blink and my kids were this size. And, and now they've got kids of their own. So you've got kids. Enjoy them. Because you just blink and it's gone. I mean, look at this. Is anything stronger than that natural loving bond between a mother and a young offspring? Keep going. In Africa. Oh, isn't that nice? And the next one. In India. Oh. In the ocean. Oh. And in Lidl's car park, Wavertree. I feel I was dropped on my head as a baby. You were. It was Lidl's. That's why you've got a discounted brain. You know, whatever. Enjoy your kids. That's the deal. They'd be like Olive need Time and effort and energy and communication. That's what the picture of the table is. Don't be like the American professor of astrophysics. You know, he knew more about distant galaxies than he knew about his kids. And one morning, he's getting ready to go off to his, his university. And his wife just very gently says, Some Honey, now you won't come home here today, will you? Because today is the day we move. He said, I know that. I know that. She said... Well I sometimes just notice that you know details pass you by. Do you know where we're moving to? And he explodes. Do I know where we're moving to? I have five earned doctorates. I have more honorary doctorates than I know what to do with. I might get a Nobel Prize and you have the temerity to ask me, Do I know where we're of course I know where we're moving to? And he she said, Well, I didn't mean to upset you. He said, Well you have and he grabbed his bag and he stormed off and drove off to university. He comes back to the house that afternoon. The family had moved us all boarded, shuttered, they've gone. Where have they gone to? He hasn't got two coherent thoughts in his thick head. But he's a bloke. He's got a phone. He's not going to ask where they are. So he's looking around and thinking, where have they gone? There's a little lad of about seven or eight going up and down outside the house on a bicycle. So he goes to him and he says, Sir, excuse me, sonny. He said, there used to be a family in this, this big house here. He said, you, you wouldn't know where they'd moved to, would you? The little guy looked up and said, Dad, follow me. Mum said this might happen. <laughs> you got kids. Enjoy them. <laughs> and finally, guard in the center yourself, keeping the circle, your family, and impacting the circumference. Next one, church and community. Because, you see, Christian faith, we keep hearing, oh, keep your faith private. That's like saying, you know, keep your humanity private. Christian faith is deeply personal, but it cannot be a private faith. That's why Islam just, just papoos all that idea, because when you're into Islam, it's a whole package deal. There's no politics, economics, stratosphere. It's all part of the deal. So is Christianity. Christianity is a world faith, and it means the whole world is destined to come under the lordship of Jesus. Now that doesn't mean you're going into a workplace if you didn't work, ramming quote religion down people's throats, but it means wherever you are in the public space, an employer, an employee, you never stop being a Christian. You never take your uniform off. That's the point. You don't take your uniform off in walking with God individually. You don't take your uniform off at home, put your feet up and pretend you're not a Christian. And when you get out into the public space, whether you're employed or working, whatever. Some of us are retired. Some of us are not working, whatever. Those contacts we have with people beyond our immediate family, like the church community. In ancient Israel, it was easy. The church community and the bigger community was the same deal. But in our society, we, we meet as the church community, and then we disseminate out into the world of work or whatever. So, next one. Work and home, next one. You know, church, business meetings, these are all part of the deal of letting your faith grow. So that's why it talks about, may the Lord bless you from Zion all the days of your life. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem. May you live to see your grandchildren and peace upon Israel. Notice Zion, Jerusalem, Israel, like dropping a pebble in a pond. <clears throat> and the concentric circles come on out. The Christian faith, deeply rooted in Jesus, affecting those nearest and dearest to me, whether it be family, close friends, or whatever, then it has a further knock-on effect to the society out there. In the marriage service, one of the phrases is, society can only be strong where a marriage bond is held in honor. In other words, strong families are going to be good for society. And better still, strong Christian communities are good for society. You can impact your community. You can keep kids on the off the street and get them on the right road of Christ. And that has all sorts of blessings and implications. So where you work, Ray Kroc, who uh, started McDonald's, this is what he said. On a Sunday, my priorities are God, family, work. And on a Monday, I turn the order around. Work, family, God. No, 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 no. My priority every day is to fear the Lord. When I go into the workplace or whatever, I'm going to serve him well. I got converted just before I, I started work. Worked in local government. As a local government officer, it was a clerk. And I thought, oh, I'm only here for a while. I'm going to do something really significant for God. I'm going to go and be a missionary or something. And then I started reading verses in Colossians and Ephesians about whatever your task as a slave work at it heartily give it your best shot if you're an employee you give it your best shot you're not the malingerer. you're not the one who's phoning up bunking off work you're there and you do a decent day's work for a decent day's pay not because you're serving the boss or the company but because you're serving the Lord see this is whole life discipleship no part of you outside of God's care So shall no part of day or night as an old hymn from sacredness be free. But all my life in every part be fellowship with thee. That's what he wants for us. Here are God's painful priorities. Can we wrap them up like this? Next one. So David McNee. stay in uniform. Have you got into uniform with Christ this morning? Have you surrendered to him? Today is the day of salvation. You've not a moment to lose. You've got a life to live. Jesus says, "Come to me. I'll give you rest. If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Jesus Christ will forgive you, cleanse you, empower you, and set you on the royal road to everlasting life. Stay in uniform. Stay. In uniform. Have you messed it up in the home. Ask for forgiveness. Start again. Have you got a prodigal? Get in touch with them. Send them an email. Send them a text. Whatever. Be in touch. Are you a prodigal? Start walking home. And in the wider world, you're going to touch from tomorrow onwards, maybe from this afternoon. Go and make a difference for Jesus. Can we wrap it up like this then? Very simply, what have we learned in this psalm? Guarding the center yourself. Get in. Stay in uniform. Keep in the circle your your family. Stay in uniform. Impact in the circumference. Church and community. Guess what? Stay in uniform.